This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Myrna Radio, Southeastern New South Wales' premier radio station, featuring Pete Healy in the mornings and midday news with Dave Ducker. Myrna Radio, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You can't ask for more than that, can you? Pod Cemetery is also made possible by the generous support of listeners like you over at patreon.com/podcemetery. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Birthday Rituals Week here on Pod Cemetery with 1981's Allison's Birthday and 2018's Book of Monsters. It's our first of two birthday weeks here. Because Kelsey and I have birthdays that are very close together. As a matter of fact, today is my birthday. But it's not Kelsey's yet. Kelsey's is in another five days. So, let's get started right away with our first film, 1981's Allison's Birthday. An Australian film written and directed by Ian Coughlin. Starring Joanne Samuel, Lou Brown, Bunny Brook, and John Bluthall. Joanne Samuel, Allison, in Allison's Birthday is Jessie from the movie Mad Max. She's Mad Max's wife, who kind of is fridged to motivate our main character to uh, get revenge. Oi! Crazy bad. That's interesting to know. And uh, John Bluthall, uh, Uncle Dean, was Professor Piccoli in The Fifth Element. Aziz! Aziz Light! Aziz Light! Kelsey, what is Allison's birthday about? A girl is warned that on her 19th birthday, someone named Myrna will come for her, but she takes no heed. Yep. (laughs) She's like, what? Why? I guess I'll go. Yeah. The movie is available via subscription to AMC Plus and Shudder with ads on Tubi. Or for rent, for $2 on Amazon and $4 on Vudu. You can buy it for $5 on Amazon or $15 on Vudu. Kelsey, should people watch Allison's Birthday? I would say despite this movie being a little bit derivative. A little, a lot, whatever. I actually would say that this is a little bit of a gem. I would watch it. I Does it drag a little bit? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it's got a lot of merit to it. Right. And when we say drag, don't think that like, oh, well, Kelsey didn't like it, but, you know, it's Chris's sort of thing. You know how he loves these slower, more methodical movies. Like, that's not what the, this is something that when it drags it, it, I don't like it either. It's not methodical. It's just boring. Yeah. But don't let that dissuade you. It is also, like Kelsey says, very derivative. Uh, There are a number of movies that you can point to and go, oh, this movie wanted to be this or that or the other thing. And it is not better than any one of them. And I know this sounds like, well, why would I watch this movie? I don't know. There's just something special about it. It's unique. It 
<laughs> I mean, in its derivativeness, it's a little unique. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And I do think it is creepy. Um, I think that there are creepy things happening in this movie. Yeah. And, like, honestly, I, I, I'm very saddened that it's, like, two-thirds of the way through, I'd say. Like, it just gets kind of... it. Pick up the pace. Yeah. And if it only did that, I would I would be like, yeah, definitely see this movie. For an idea of what we're talking about when we say it's derivative, we're talking Rosemary's Baby, Suspiria, Friday the 13th, Wicker Man. It's like all of those. It does things that have been done in those movies before this movie. Um, evil Dead. Yeah, Evil offerings. Dead. Yes. Uh-huh. Now, that said, it did come out in 1981. So it was probably filmed or being filmed before Friday the 13th came out. You're telling me that the breathing? Of course, yeah, that could have been done in post-production after that came out. But yeah, I have written down, yeah, the breathing sound that she hears. It's very, very much Friday the 13th. But yeah, it's more of the the Rosemary's Baby with the gaslighting and all of that. Suspiria with the weird ritualism. Wicker Man with the cult aspect of it and the sacrifice and putting all those elements together. Like I say, it isn't better than any of those individually, but it still makes something kind of special. Especially when it's like, this is very obviously a passion project. There's yes. not a lot of money. Low budget. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. It's Australian. Like I, I, you can tell that these people were trying very hard and I would say we're pretty successful. Mostly successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would agree. I would say, yeah, you should watch it. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1981's Allison's Birthday. If there is a spirit in the room, please move the glass towards the yes. Who is it? Uh, Allison! Murder's coming! All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Allison's birthday begin? So right off the bat, we get a creepy shot of Allison, and it's like, Allison, 16 years, four months. Uh Uh-huh, we're going to get a couple of those. Yeah, and that's setting something up. Like, it's it's making you very concerned for this girl. uh There is a homemade Ouija game, which I've never seen this I mean, it makes sense. I mean, there's nothing about a Ouija board that's like, oh, it's the official one. If it's not made by Milton Bradley or whatever, then you can't talk to ghosts. (laughs) Seems a little more complicated. (laughs) It's basically they busted open a Scrabble board and they found a tile for every letter. uh, And then they put it around in a circle. And then they had special letters, uh, like blank tiles that they wrote yes and no on. You know, all the other things that you have on a Ouija board. And then they have a a glass turned upside down on top of this glass table. On top of a glass table. So you got glass scraping across glass while they do this. And it's making this really creepy sound. And yeah, they put their fingers on the glass as the planchette. And then it slides around and bumps into these tiles to spell things. So there are three girls here, our main girl, Allison, and her two school friends. One of them seems very into it, Yep. while Allison and the other friend are kind of trying to laugh, keep it silly, because they're scared. Uh Uh-huh. But of course, it starts to work. And I'd say this movie starts off with a bang in this scene. Bang! 
I've never seen a ghost speak through a person in this way. And I thought, like, right there, that's very unique. And and, <laughs> and to punch your audience with this. Yeah, no, they're not fucking around. This is a ghost talking through a kid. Yes. It's real good. Uh, I think that this is an excellent idea. Uh, Allison. Chrissy? Allison. You have to get away, away from them before 19th birthday. They want you for murder. Don't let them take you. Chrissy, that's not funny. Stop it. Listen. Have to listen to me. Terrible danger! Who are you? Your father! They're not fucking around. It's, it's, there's no question about, oh, is this really happening? Think almost like Killer Party, only not silly. Like, taking itself way more seriously. uh You know, like, it doesn't make that weird face that you make, but she is making a startling face. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And... She has been taken over by Allison's father, who we will find out later. Her parents died when she was a baby in, in a, a car, car accident. accident. Yeah. And it is her father warning her about her 19th birthday. Get away, get away. They want you for Myrna. Yes. He rips off her pendant. The people who raised her gave it to her. Yeah. Yes. Very much like Rosemary's baby. This is for you from Roman and me. For me? A little present is off. I'm moving in. There's no reason. It's real old. It's over 300 years. It's lovely. Yeah. The green inside is called Tannis Root. That's for good luck. It's lovely, but I I can't accept you it. You already have. Put it on. This movie steals heavily from Rosemary's Baby, and I mean, it's a great. It's it's an incredible film. So why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, like I see what I see why they did that. Yeah, the way he talks about this Myrna, and then he's afraid of Myrna, and then... Oh, she's coming. Oh, shit, I gotta get out of here. (laughs) And and to get rid of the ghost, they kill the young girl. Well, yeah, the impression is that, yeah, to to get rid of Allison's father and get him away, this power comes rushing through, and it, it ends up... Winds blowing everywhere. I think it breaks a window and then it collapses this giant bookcase on top of the friend who is being possessed, killing her. Murna's coming, fighting me. I don't think Allison is nearly traumatized enough. No, from she's this just experience. kind of frozen. She just talked to her dad potentially. Yes. From beyond the grave, and now her friend is dead and she doesn't even notice. And then later, when the people who raised her are like dead set on her coming back for her 19th birthday, she isn't like, huh. Yeah. This is suspect. Yeah, they guilt her into it. We should add. 18 years, 11 months, 26 days. Yeah, but you're missing the credits, which are over like a red and black kind of filter. 
And it looks like Stonehenge. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, there is literally a Stonehenge in this movie later. <laughs> Stonehenge, and then, then immediately I think of, we had a hell of a time getting it here. Now, see, I immediately think of Spinal Tap. Stonehenge. Stonehenge. And we're both right because it's a miniature version of, <laughs> of Stonehenge. Stonehenge. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> and the music in this movie is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. Sometimes it can be a little overwrought, but like a lot of the time it's good synth. And the way yeah. that the, uh, the close captioning, captioning yeah. <laughs> describes it is pretty hilarious. It, it basically tells you outright how you're supposed to feel, which is a thing. Like we <laughs> use music a lot to evoke certain emotions yes. and certain feelings that people who are deaf or hard of hearing don't get that element. And so instead, the closed captioning will just tell you what you're supposed to feel. Psychotic. <laughs> yeah, psychotic synth music. Spooky synth music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we get another freeze frame of the 18 years, 11 months. And again, it's just, it's, it, it's the tiniest thing, and it's yeah, so effective. Yeah, it's a effective. fun little element, yeah. Like, it makes you very concerned for this girl. The tension mounts as this number climbs. Yes. Uh, although she does do something very obnoxious here. She walks around with her fucking radio playing, and I'm like, dude, the one thing I yell at my kids for, like, I let you on your phones. Turn the goddamn sound off. Jesus. I already saw it this morning, a guy walking, and he was on his speakerphone. And he did this thing that I do not understand. People, if you're listening to this and you do this, fix it. He holds the phone up <laughs> to his mouth. You know that thing where, you know, you just like lay out your hand in like a platter that your phone's on it and the microphone is pointed to your face. It's as close to your mouth as it would be if you were not on speakerphone. But you're on speakerphone. Just tilt your wrist. <sighs> Hold it to your face and don't make everyone else listen to your conversation. Well, it might be that it's kind of gross. Like, you know, your phone is pretty disgusting. Then take a moment to wipe your phone down. That, there's no way that's the reason this person did it. I, But either way, it's just rude. Yes. It's super rude. Yes. But, you know, she's 19, so I guess that <laughs> makes sense. She, like, lives with her boyfriend. I'm like, dude, having your life together, 19. Yeah. Way to uh -huh. go. Does she live with him? I thought she was working at this place and... Seems like I don't know. It doesn't there. matter. The point is, you will never see jobs. this again. She, she works yeah. in a record store and he... he works I don't for a radio station. Yes. He's a yes, DJ. He's a DJ. Her aunt calls and is like, you've got to come home. And no matter what she says, Allison's like, no, no. And then she's like, your uncle isn't doing so well. And she's like, damn, okay, I'll come. Here's the thing. You spoke to your dad a couple years ago. Your dead dad. And your friend died. Why even risk it? Why even risk it? Come up with some weird excuse or some reason. You could have dinner together or something like that, but don't stay there. Yeah, She's guilt. She's been brainwashed her yeah. entire life. I also have here, why not just say you'll come the day after? Why is it so exactly. important? That's what, I would be, that's what I would say. Or at least you're doing something. Yeah. If you think it's supposed to be for your birthday, then just be like, well, you know what? I'm celebrating my birthday here, but how about I come by the day after? Yeah. But she doesn't. She's just like, well, I'll guess I ignore the voice of my father from beyond the grave that my friend gave her life to give me this message. Right. I'll just ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> we will find out later that this is a coven uh, of, of like, druid. Druids, yeah. Which is, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. But anyway, 
They killed her parents, obviously. Yeah, they killed her parents and stole her. Like, what kind of awful bitch has just stolen a bitch? She stole a baby. Because she was born at the perfect day, at the perfect time. Uh Uh-huh. Seven o'clock on the seventh day of the seventh month or some shit. uh But so her boyfriend is very concerned about her. He is very much in love with her. They're a very happy couple. Mm -hmm. And he's like... He's a great boyfriend, too, yeah. I'm going to go with you. Mm Mm-hmm. If this makes you that uncomfortable, I'm going with you. My dad lives in Sydney. Um, I'll go and use this as an excuse to visit him. Yeah. We're going to find out, of course, that are, like we said, druid witches. The lady who takes care of her always gives her tonics and potions. Again, a la Rosemary's, Rosemary's baby. baby. Yep. And I'm not drinking Minnie's drink anymore. I want vitamins in pills like everyone else. Again, the pendant, which she wears now. Like, I'm just yeah. like... Your dead father <laughs> ripped that thing off of you. I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> yep. But then again, I wouldn't wear something that reeked. Just walk right. around smelling bad everywhere and knowing that everyone thinks I smell bad. The tannis root uh-huh, in uh, yeah. Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and she, <laughs> the aunt's like, I get that your uncle looks fine. But he's just doing that so that you he's don't feel bad. keeping up appearances, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? <laughs> oh, she's going to notice that she's being stared at uh, by a woman through the window. And this is where I get kind of the burnt offerings feel. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and how it ends. Sure. It's got that burnt offerings ending. Yeah. Now, here's the funny thing about that. I also thought, and this was kind of a bummer. I also thought of the House of the Devil. Yes, I have that written down here, but of course, it came out afterwards. Of course, but it finally dawned on me that House of the Devil is not as unique as I I was thinking it was. Right. Now I'm seeing that it is also a combination of many things. And in fact, it could have been slightly influenced by this movie. Sure, yeah, but I mean, that's kind of the point of House of the Devil. Yes, I know, but... It is it sort felt, of an homage to this era. It feel very unique at the time when I first yeah. saw it. Well, it felt unique insofar as it is, and I think to this day, it has accomplished sort of the best emulation of <laughs> this era. Yeah. And making an early 80s, late 70s horror movie, and... It, it did that so fucking well that it that gained a lot of points in my mind. So the fact that it's like anything is kind of, that is kind of the point, you know? Yeah. I also have Get Out here as one of the things that it felt like. Mm-hmm. Which again reminds you that Get Out, but I think we said this, uh, Get Out feels like a little bit like Rosemary's Baby, you know? Yeah. There's uh-huh. that. I should be safe and comfortable here in the home with... <laughs> People I love and the that seem to care about me. me. (laughs) We finally get to see Stonehenge. Yeah, so they tell her not to go beyond this wall because there are snakes and shit, spiders, and it's like you hear snakes and spiders in Australia. No. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to go. And she just goes anyway, and it's like, oh my god, they're fearless (laughs) walking through this brush. Yeah. 
And this is like, oh, they had no money. It is. It's just somebody's backyard. It's real bad spray paint. Oh, it's, on it's, the stone? Yeah, it's real bad. Just like, it's what I had, you know, for my middle school sets, you know? <laughs> well, I <laughs> they mean, they put I'm chicken sure wire was, and then they put yeah. some, some paper over it, it. it. I mean, I don't know that it was necessarily paper, but it, uh, they obviously were fabricated. They were not stone that was carved down, it was obviously fabricated for sure. <laughs> And she gets chased around by breath. Which is where the Friday the 13th and the um, Evil Dead feeling comes in. Yeah, there's the camera from the from the perspective of the wooded area. And she hears this really what the captioning describes as creepy breathing. <laughs> and she freaks out about that. But so when she comes and she approaches her uncle and she's like, dude, what's up with that? He's like, oh, yeah, totally. Uh, the guy who owned this place originally, he was an amateur astronomer. No big he, deal. He set up this circle. You MBD. Know? Yeah. <laughs> she is that night going to be awoken by a creepy ass lady. Grandmother Thorne. And I have written down here, Myrna Thorne. Who no. the hell is Grandmother Thorne? <laughs> it's not Myrna Thorne. It's Isabel Thorne. And that will be important later. Yes. Let's just get through it now. This is where the Suspiria thing is coming in. This is sure. where the House of the Devil thing is coming in. Burnt Offerings uh -huh. is coming in. This ancient woman who Motherfucking wants this... Sentinel is this, coming yes, in. Yes, <laughs> who wants this younger thing, this younger person. Yeah, it's tale as old as time. <laughs> yes, an old woman wants a young woman's body. Now, as Chris said, it was done by a girl named Isabel. What? What's Isabel 103 Thorn. minus 19? What's... Well, no, okay, so forever ago, like a very long... Ago. No, don't even worry about that too much. We'll get to that later. Oh. A long time ago, the druids performed this uh, this ritual. And what I think is interesting is that in that ritual, the girl was also... Her parents were killed. Uh -huh. She was taken in. But she was raised by the cult it was and voluntary. did it willingly. Yes. I thought that was... Fascinating. She voluntarily took on the aspect of Myrna. Who exists within stone. Yeah, who's this like demon from stone or whatever. Or I don't even know if they use the term demon. They use some other term. Celtic. Yeah, some, some sort of spirit. Uh, takes on the body of this young woman. They name her Isabel Thorne. And then every 80 or so years, they do it again. And they name that person Isabel Thorne. And then the next person, Isabel Thorne. That Isabel Thorne is Myrna's name on Earth, mm. in a body. Mm. The Myrna cult was revived in the early 17th century by a Somerset farm girl called Isabel Thorne. She and her followers used to conduct sabbats in the ruins of an old Druidic stone circle, invoking Myrna, inviting her to take possession of Isabel's body. According to the story, that's what eventually happened. Thorne. Well, that's the name of the old lady, the one that's supposed to be Ellie's great-grandmother. That'd be right. The story goes that the demoness completely took over the original Isabel Thorne and stayed in possession of the body until she was an old woman. 
Then, with the help of her followers, she transferred to the body of another young girl. And when she got too old, well, they just kept repeating the process every 80 years or so. And always, when a young girl was possessed by Myrna, they renamed her Isabel Thorne. You're saying that the old lady in that house is possessed by some ancient Celtic demon? I'm saying that that's what these people believe. So this grandmother Thorne is Myrna. Hmm. But so she wakes her up and freaks her the fuck out. Who the hell is grandmother Thorne? Even though that will freak her out and the next day she'll be like, see you later, bye. She checks the fuck out. She still has every intention of coming back. Right. Which I'm just like, come on, save yourself. Jeez. Her Aunt Jenny, I want to say, and Uncle Dean are like, oh, no, that's your, that's Dean's grandma. No, that's your grandmother. Well, it's your great-grandmother, from, from but it's England. like Dean's grandma. And, and she's like, what the hell? You never told me I had a great-grandmother. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, we yeah, thought it would upset well. you <laughs> yeah, that you couldn't yeah. see her. It's yeah, like, it's- <laughs> what? Like, she just doesn't have any gumption to stick up for herself against yeah, these uh-huh. people. Or and question the people that raised her. Which I also thought this was interesting. It's only one line, but like the mom's like, I feel kind of guilty. I kind of love her like my daughter. I feel right. Like maybe she she says do this. that to the doctor at one point, and the doctor's <laughs> like, hey, watch it. You've been put in this position. You shut the fuck up. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she does. And, she, and, and when it happens, she doesn't really care. So, you know, as interesting as that was, it was dropped. She also has a dream. I don't know if it's this night or the next night of the druids chanting in robes and headdresses one of them has a conchu moon staff uh and they say myrna come now angel of the darkest night mistress of the great old ones i beg thee to come to us that's her dreaming of the possession happening bringing myrna out of the stone having her possess this young woman mm-hmm so like we said her boyfriend is pretty amazing and does everything he can to try and save her but he's too late. Like, she gets hypnotized, so she, like, tells a cop that she's perfectly happy to be there. And, like, they get Vulcan pinched. Okay, so, so a lot don't... of things happen. <laughs> right, a lot of things like, we happen. don't need to go into everything. This is the part where, it dra- like, before it gets to yes. all this, it drags a lot. And we don't need to talk so, about that. But I do want to cover a couple of, like, general details. Okay. She gets sick. Obviously, from the potions that her aunt is giving her, uh, isn't that convenient? How convenient! Because they are they're bothered by the fact that Peter is present. Obviously, they don't want him there. So she's like we said, spent a whole day with Peter. But what's interesting about that? Mm-hmm. I legitimately think they're sad they don't get to spend more time with her. Oh, for sure. Especially before she's going to become somebody else. Well, that's what yeah, I mean. Uh-huh. Like that's. Interesting. It that is. is, and that is something that I feel like they could have really explored, and they just didn't. Right. But the, I, I think we're supposed to be seeing this more from Peter's perspective, and they just want him not there, uh, and so they need to come up with a way to get him not there. And first, they say you're not invited, and Allison's like, um, "I'm sorry, it's my birthday. He's invited, or I'm just not coming." And they're like. Fine. And then they try to threaten him, and he's like, no, Allison invited me. I'm coming. Until she says otherwise, I'm coming. Right. And they're like, oh, we can do that. Well, at first they make her sick, and then a doctor comes by, uh, again, very similar to Rosemary's baby, misdiagnoses her in order to help out the cult, right? Yep. Dr. Saperstein is either lying or he's 
I don't know, out of his mind. You gotta have a doctor. Yeah. You gotta have a doctor, you gotta have a lawyer, you gotta have a cop. He subjects her to bed rest for a couple of days, so now she can't see Peter, and the party is, quote-unquote, canceled. Isn't that convenient? Oh, well, isn't that convenient? It's your fault, uh-huh. Peter. He ends up looking for the doctor and can't find him anywhere. Like, that he exists. He can't find any record of him. Nobody knows what his phone number or address is. Like, nothing. He eventually breaks in in the middle of the night, tries to search around and smuggle her out. He asks where Jenny and Dean sleep. He does not ask where Grandmother Thorne sleeps. And sure enough, ends up going into her room. And she's just fucking staring at him. Mm -hmm. This is where he ends up getting arrested. And in the process, they do hypnotize Allison, like Kelsey said, to say that... I woke up. And he was standing beside the bed. He threatened to kill me if I didn't go with him. What? Ellie, what's the matter with you? Have you ever had anything to do with him before tonight? I went out with him a couple of times. I realised the sort of person he was. He frightened me. I asked him to leave me alone, but he wouldn't. I see, and you've done nothing to give him the impression that you were being held here against your will, that uh, you needed help? No. All right, thank you, miss. I don't think we need to trouble you any further. Yeah, despite the fact that she very much wanted to come with him. And so he goes to his friend. Oh, yeah, he does get Vulcan nerve pinch, but like a two-handed Vulcan nerve pinch (laughs) from the doctor here. And she does, too. Yeah, and that's when they hypnotize her. He ends up going to his hippie friend to explore... Like, what exactly is going on? He describes the... I love that he has a random hippie friend who has all the answers. Uh Uh-huh. And she does sort of look it up, and she finds out about Myrna, and her number is 19, and yada, yada, yada. And he decides, I need to help her. They decide, however, that he needs to die. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's not stopping. Despite the fact that he was just arrested, he's out on bail now. His dad lets him out on bail. He is going to take action. And while he's driving, they're going to try to cause a car accident, just like with her parents. Mm -hmm. He's too smart for that, though. (laughs) He ends up chasing a guy, very obviously, Mm -hmm. is like trying to lead him somewhere. being led. And they go into a cemetery. And then he gets surrounded by all these dudes in suits. (laughs) He ends up fighting with them. One of them has a pitchfork. He gets the pitchfork away. He uses the pitchfork to... Half pole vault, half drop kick this fence. <laughs> like, he sticks it in the ground and leaps over feet first, breaks the top of the fence off, but gets over the fence. And they're like, drat, he got away. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes and he takes one of his dad's competition target pistols because his dad is a big gun nut. This is obviously before Port Arthur, where they outlawed a lot of guns and they restricted recreational shooting. But anyway, there is a gun here that he takes. It never gets used. Does it ever get used? He has it. He waves it around, I think, at one point. I don't know. But his hippie friend is like, take a consecrated cross with you. Don't take a gun. Take a cross. So he breaks into a church and steals a cross. And and a priest sees him and chases him and he gets away. (laughs) And... He does the number one thing I tell you not to do. So stupid. So he shows up and everyone's like, oh, holy shit, he's got a gun (laughs) and a cross. Ah, Saves her. And Allison's like, the cross, throw it at them. Throw it at them. And he does. Throws 
His number one weapon, which in this case is a cross. And they're running through the brush. They get through so mad. The, the, the wall, that little fence with the stone wall. And just as they do, he just falls for no reason. And he I says, think she pushes him. He says something to the effect of, it's no good, Allie. I've wrecked my ankle. What? <laughs> get out of here. Oh, this is where the gun comes into play. She takes the gun. He gives her the gun to be like, protect yourself. Get out of here. And she's like, oh, you shouldn't have thrown that cross away. If you had, you would have if won. If you had kept it, yeah, you might have won. Yeah. You're a fool to throw away the cross. If you hadn't, I might still be Allison. But you did. And I'm not. And then she just fucking shoots him. Yeah. The story that they give the cops is basically what happened. That he showed up at this party, that he brandished a gun, and he tried to steal Allison away. But in their version, he was trying to kidnap her, and he was obsessed, and they were broken up. And then he tripped, and then the gun accidentally went off. And so he killed himself. So, like, that's the only variation. It's remarkably close to what actually happened. (laughs) So, Myrna is in Allison's body. So the question becomes, what happens to Allison? Is she stuck in the back of the brain or anything? No. It's a body swap. She is now in Grandmother Thorne's body. And she's talking to them and like, you know, what's going on? Ha, da, 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 da. And then she looks at her hands and she realizes she's old. And then she screams, freeze, Allison. 104 years. Oh my god. It is so effective. So cool. It's so creepy. It's so frightening. Psychologically frightening. I think it is very good. What a great use of that tactic they've been using up to this point of her aging. I was so Getting closer upset. to 19. That's the important thing. And then just jumps to 104 years old. I, I was really so upset. Great. I was like, oh my god, what a terrible, but what a good ending. Yeah, what a traumatic, yeah. effective ending. You do say that this movie drags, and I agree with you, when Pete's trying to, like, figure out what's going on and get to Allison and everything, he tries to find out more about her birth, and then there's this whole contrived thing where they're like, we can't just give you patient information, and he's like, well, how about I describe something and you just say yes or no? Then you're not giving me any information I don't already have, and she's like, uh, okay. Like, what? Yeah. But... When he comes back, he tells everybody there, she's not even the right baby. The doctor that you trust so much grabbed the wrong fucking one. It's she a was great born lie. at like 7:15 and there and we didn't hear any about that. Like it's possible he could be telling the truth. But he's not. But he's not because we know it the ritual does actually work. It's a great lie though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was a compelling thing where not even the audience knew if he was lying. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, we're calling your bluff. And you're like, oh man, is this gonna play into it? And like, nope. It still worked. It didn't matter. So Kelsey, what do you think Allison's birthday has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm sure it's low. First I- of all, let me tell you, there are zero professional reviews so this is an audience score although there are also fewer than 50 reviews which is the lowest number they go when they're counting audience reviews fewer than 50 i'll go with 50 percent. it's 14 percent. oh my there are only three written reviews I I going a little high none of the reviews audience reviews for this movie are even verified member reviews right 
Two of them, there are only three written ones, two of them are literally the same exact review posted by the same person two years apart for some reason. I don't know why. And I guess it's just like doubling down on that score. So like it was a one star review. So it drove down the score. So I don't know how accurate this one is. Right. Unfortunately, but the only score we have to go by is 14%. There is no Metacritic. Metacritic doesn't even know this movie exists. There is no cinema score because I don't think it was in cinemas here. Now, this is a simple question that I'm sure I know the answer to already. Is this overrated or underrated? It's underrated. Yes. What do you think it should have? I'm going to give it a 63. Yeah, I think this is a solidly in the 60s movie. 50s feels too low. 50s feels way too low. But 70s feels too high. Slightly. I don't know. I think this movie has a lot of merit because of how little it had to work with. Right. But it really does drag and... It is low budget, like, you know, so it's right, like, yeah, it has things going against it that at the same time it has going for it. So, yeah, 63. I think I'll give it a 65. I think just right smack dab in the middle of those 60s is exactly where it should be. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's still worth seeing. There are a lot of places you can watch it for free. So that is Allison's birthday. Happy birthday, Chris. Happy birthday to me, I guess. <laughs> Because that's the best you're going to get this week. Uh huh. It is. Oh boy. Because our next movie is 2018's Book of Monsters, written by Paul Butler and directed by Stuart Spark, starring Lindsay Crane, Michaela Longdon, Lizzie Aaron Stanton, Rose Muirhead, and Daniel Thrace. This was a crowdfunded movie where it got about $800 more than its roughly $52,000 goal. From a total of 286 backers. Kelsey, what is Book of Monsters about? A girl, Sophie, on her 18th birthday, unknowingly allows a monster to release more monsters to try and take over the world. Just monsters and monsters and what? It's just... It's... It is a love letter to horror movies. It's a love letter to monster movies. And, yes. And it, of varying stripes. It didn't care about its story. It didn't care about its acting. It didn't care. It just was like, this is fun and cool. And I like these movies. It can't be that hard to do. Right. Exactly. It's that classic case of somebody having the gumption to make a movie and getting it the fuck done. And there's something admirable about that. That said, they had no idea what they were doing or why. They just knew what they liked. They knew the tropes. And they knew what they wanted to honor. It's just not a very great honor. <laughs> the movie is available with ads on Voodoo, Redbox, Fandor, Dark Matter TV, Plex, and Freevee. You can rent it for a dollar on Apple and three to five on the rest. You can buy it for $3 on Apple, $7 on Microsoft, or 10 and up on the rest. Kelsey, I think we all know the answer to this one. Should people watch Book of Monsters? Considering the best thing I can say about this movie is that it's competently shot, no. The answer is no. Well, and obviously, I, I think contrary to what you said, I think obviously they did care. They care about the subject matter. I don't think they cared about what they were making, which is unfortunate. It is terrible. <laughs> it's pretty bad. 
pretty bad. There are some moments where I was like, no, that was kind of funny, actually. But almost everything was just incredibly predictable, incredibly trite, incredibly poorly acted. There's a lot of cringe going on. There's a lot of, like, if if you think about what a Kickstarter movie is, not like, you know, sometimes there are movies that are kickstarted and they end up being good, competent films, but you don't necessarily think of them as a Kickstarter movie. What you think of as a Kickstarter movie, this is. This is that. And it's not good. No. I would highly recommend you stay away from it. Not even as like a curiosity. Yeah. Because it's not even that satisfying it to your curiosity. It is a waste of your time. Yeah, for sure. Now, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2018's Book of Monsters. So what have you three got planned for this evening? Oh, you know, just quiet night in with the girls. (laughs) Bed by midnight, okay? See? Party Central. Who are these people? They don't go to our school. Relax. Wait, that's my bedroom. Oh, this was a bad idea. (laughs) Why do you hang around with them? Smile, Sophie. You might find you like it. Are you a virgin? (laughs) Hey, guys, I'm late for a party. Get out! A monster. A fucking monster. A big... Fucking monster! You get a lap dance in full frontal. You didn't pay me for this shit. You got to be fucking kidding me! <laughs> All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Book of Monsters begin? So we have a little girl who is obsessed with this book that has pictures of monsters. And Chris mentions that the story that is read here is way too short. I don't think it's actually a fairy tale book. I think it is literally... The mom's just making it up. Well, yeah, at the time, I didn't know that. We learn more about the book as the movie goes on. But yes, I agree. The Grota was a savage and powerful beast. One day, a brave young warrior, just like you, came passing through the village. She alone decided that all monsters, no matter how scary, could be defeated. The warrior fought long and hard, but the monster was strong and vicious. She picked her moment, took her sword, and with one thrust, jabbed the monster in its weakest spot. And... But that's enough for tonight. So, basically, her mother is a monster hunter, you know? Think uh, supernatural, yeah, but supernatural. for ladies. That's all it is. But it's unclear if the father knew? It seems like he didn't. Which is weird. How do you go off fighting monsters and your husband doesn't know what you're doing? How do you have a fucking weapons room? How did you meet this guy? Buried underneath the ground and he not know about it. How do you have a book of monsters? And he's like, yeah, I'll give this to my daughter. Anyway, the mom hears hissing under the floor. And then. Yeah, under the bed. Sorry. And then she is pulled under the bed. And Sophie, the little girl, sees 
an alien uh, looking thing with like tentacles. It's like part alien, part Doc Ock, part Demogorgon. Yeah, this is supposed to be an homage to the xenomorph. Yeah. It's like, like it's not yeah. supposed to look like the xenomorph, but, but it's it supposed does. to evoke a xenomorph. Yes. It almost looks like a what if the xenomorph was a plant. Yeah, it's got also like a, a little Venus bit of Audrey. Trap look a little bit it. of Audrey, but that's yeah, uh-huh. because it's got a little bit of Audrey. It makes me think more of Demogorgon now. Sure, yeah. The point is, it doesn't look great. No, none of none of them do. It's very obviously just a lady in a morph suit with a thing if on her shoulders. At, if you saw this at Comic Con, you'd be like, "Dope." Uh huh. Yeah. If somebody was cosplaying like this, it would be awesome. Right. But this is a film. <laughs> right. And it they are only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Every monster after this will have less money and will look worse. Yeah. At, at one point, there is going to be, I assume it's supposed to be a bird monster, but it is literally just a guy wearing a jacket that's got some feathers on the cuff, uh, like on the, on the neckline. And he's wearing... You know, it's not a bird monster. He's the slasher archetype. He's like your your Jasons, your Michael Myers is, except the mask he wears is an old timey plague mask. You can't tell me they weren't trying to evoke the feeling of a bird. He has feathers on his jacket and he wears this that mask, which I feel which my question becomes, do you understand that it was worn for a reason? No. I mean they could probably tell you what that reason is, but I don't think that that's what they're doing. They have not the not the bird thing, but I mean the actual plague mask thing. It's just supposed to look spooky. Right. That's it. And it looks dumb. I agree. Because we know that it's meant for the plague. So when you wear it and you wear the and you have them wearing something with feathers, it looks like you have no idea why that thing ever existed and you're just trying to make us think that he looks like a bird and it's bad. We're also going to get Think Night of the Creeps, only in Night of the Creeps, they knew they looked silly. It was on purpose. Right. Here, it's like, those, Chris even said, he's like, they don't even articulate. It's right. just these slug things with with teeth on the end that barely move. These are supposed to be, apparently, they're like little creep monsters, like Critters Night or like creeps. Night of the Creeps. Yeah, but that's that's the archetype that we're going for. This movie is full of archetypes, intentionally so, because it's a love letter to horror movies, so you're not allowed to dislike it. We're also going to get a girl like Samara from The Ring for about two seconds. Yeah. And we're also going to get... There's two you're missing out on. The gnomes... Which I'm just like, dude, you saw Krampus and you were like, I like this movie and yeah. you did not understand why you liked it. But that's still more Critters, but go ahead. I mean, that's still that part of that archetype. Right. But that's all I can think of off the top of my head. But my point is, is that every single one is going to be worse. It's going to look less like a monster and just like a thing that they were shaking. Yeah. Well, there's the beast and there's the... Abomination. So the beast is, you know, your more traditional monsters like werewolves and things like that. Also a little Krampusy. 
It's like the way it's oh. designed with the big hump oh. on the back yes, and the head. Yes, exactly. So yes. The, the head is controlled by a puppeteer's hand in front of him, which, and, his, and his head is in the hump on the back. Which it's just like, because they had no money... You it's, can see it's like trash bags on a dude. Like you it's can real see bad. Exactly where the person is. Yeah, under there. Exactly. And, like fucking Skeksis looked better right. than this. Yeah, back uh-huh. in the eighties. And there's the abomination, which is supposed to be like from the thing, where it's literally just a dude, but he's like melded into more flesh. But it's very obvious because none of that flesh articulates. None of it moves. It's dry as fuck. There's like a face with these circular razor teeth, like that one creature in Cabin in the Woods, where like the face is is just circles of teeth, like is right there, but like it doesn't move at all. It's just very obviously prosthetic. You would think a movie like this would put all of their money and resources into making these things look good. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't. But Kelsey, it's just some some fans of the horror genre just having fun. Right, but the reason other movies do well is because of passion. Right. No, I'm I'm playing devil's advocate here because no, I think it is terrible. Yeah. Like you don't you can't get by on goodwill alone. That's not enough. Anyway, cut to a decade later. She's now 18. She's about to turn 18, I mean, right? It's 18? 18. Yeah, cuz uh-huh. so cuz 19 Allison is Allison. 19, yeah. Sophie is 18. Yes. So Sophie is at this all-girls school where there's... They're all 30? Yeah. Yeah. And the acting is no good for the rest of the movie. Um, very rarely do you get good performances in this movie. And this is a British film. So we went from yeah. Australian to uh-huh. British. Yep. So we had two English-speaking but not American yeah. movies mm-hmm. this, this week about, about girls. So there's Sophie, the main character, her best friend Mona, who's the redhead, a second best friend Beth, who's the goth friend. Um, there is Aria. They named this girl Aria, who is the bitch bully. Okay. Her boyfriend Bryce, who is the dick bully. The bully thing is is incomprehensible. You've heard us talk about how, like, oh, these people don't know how actual bullies operate. Yeah. They, they just know the tropes, and so, like, it's just completely unbelievable. Yeah. How... Don't get me wrong. <laughs> mean girls are can be popular, but not in this way. I mean, literally, guys, at one point during the party, they will just throw their drink at this girl. Right. Unprompted. And you're, you're just like, what? It's not even like, oh, whoops. Exactly. It's just drink face. Yeah. No like, reason. No prompting. That's not how shit actually works. That's not how bullying Bullies works. know how to get under your skin, and that's not how they get under your skin. No. Uh, if you did that, especially in this day and age, you know? Yeah. If you did that in this day and age, people would be like, so you're just an asshole. Right, I don't no see how a person like, like that would be popular. Exactly. This person would not be popular. There's also Jess, who is part of the popular group. Who's who, not a bully. Right. Why she would be friends with them, it makes no sense. Well, I can understand that she's trying to hide that she's a lesbian. She wants to be cool. She wants to be popular. Why would she be friends with, with just these an two asshole? particular people? Yes, exactly. Um, but yes, she's a lesbian. So is Sophie, why, and why they kind of flirt with each other a little bit. Anyone would be friends with just an asshole, right? Yeah, 
Your only defining feature of your personality is you're a dickhead. <laughs> I mean, later we're going to find out that they have money. Like, Bryce's dad has a Porsche that they were allowed to drive around in. So maybe it's that they have money. But that explains why Arya is into him. She literally says that. He was a dickhead, but he had money and we could drive his dad's Porsche. But that's not why Jess does it. Right. Like, they, the characterizations just do not make sense. The dad is, like, this uncomfortable nerd, and, like, it's just... A terrible actor, too. Why would he be married to a monster hunter? I mean, you could play it off like it's funny, but the movie does makes no effort. Right, it's just awkward and uncomfortable. Right, if you're making a comedy about this, which it's definitely trying to be funny, because somebody's gonna get bit in the dick... It's a comedy. It's just, uh, it's just all the lowest effort comedy. You could make an effort here, do a flashback, and show the dad with the mom and have the dad be comically oblivious to the mom's very obvious monster hunting proclivities. And there's room for comedy there. Uh, but no, nothing. There's no explanation. There's no attempt at making a joke out of it. And he's a dad that cares. They come home and he set up like a little kid's birthday party. And he's like, oh, I thought you would like it for your birthday. You can invite some friends over or whatever. And it's just sad. It's not funny. It's just kind of you feel bad for the guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me laugh. No. But so the popular girl found out she was having a party. So she... Asks a bunch of people to come to ruin the house. Which that, yes, I see that. Okay, so then also she gets a... We, we, should, we should probably point out that the bad actor dad <laughs> is probably most famous for not really having to act at all. He was in Hellraiser. Was he Pinhead? No. Oh. <laughs> he was gonna the, freak the fuck out. He was the chatterer guy. Oh, that count i know that's what i'm saying he's not required to act he's also in nightbreed which we haven't watched for the show yet but i'm sure it's going to come up eventually which i get that happens in movies all the time they ask a bunch of people over they're going to trash the house and unfortunately for sophie that means that she's cleaning up the whole night totally see that okay she also orders her a male stripper to make fun of the fact that she is a lesbian okay here's the thing guys for my bachelorette my maid of honor surprised me with uh, strippers. They are just human beings. Right. They can understand when people are uncomfortable. Right. And they can understand when people are comfortable. It's part of their job to know that stuff. They were extremely, like, to the girls who were into it, they were into it. For people like me who were super, like, ah, <laughs> uncomfortable, they were really kind and polite about that. Right. So, like, I can't even imagine a person being so... But it's funny because he's a bumbling stripper who's not even that hot. Like, that's the joke. But apparently that was a Kickstarter thing. It was a Kickstarter survey uh-huh. where they asked, this guy was going to be in the movie. He was going to be showing up at the house, but he's not a friend. And they needed a role for him and... They had a bunch of options, and of course, the Kickstarter backers chose Stripper, because it's funny. But that's fine, that's fine, but just, it it just makes him look like a total moron to, like, not see that she is very obviously not interested. Right. By the way, a lot of these people come from The Creature Below, which is a movie that 
the director made prior to this. So that's why some of these people are just there because they were in his previous movie. And it's like, well, we got this guy from my previous movie. Uh, he's going to be in it. You tell us what he is because we actually don't care about any of the actual content of the movie. It's just references and tropes and hey, remember that guy? And he was in another thing that horror movie fans should love. And like, that's what it's about. Like, no, they, they didn't care about making an actual good movie. They cared more about you being able to point at things and go, I, I know what that is. I understand that reference. There is also a boy who has a Huge crush on our main girl, Sophie. Yeah, this guy's Gary, and the big joke is that he's so meek, everybody gets his name wrong. Yes. Like, Gary. everything Gary. ever. What's your name again? No, that's okay. It's Gary. Text the drink, Gavin. It's Gary. Okay. Who are you? I'm Gary. Good job, Greg. Grant here just saved our lives. But the goth friend is into Gary. Yeah, yeah. But he's not into her because she's goth. Well, Whereas he just doesn't Sophie see her. There's not like he's not into her. Like pink and bows and all yeah. that. He likes Sophie. Obviously, that's why he shows up. But over the course of the movie, he's going to kind of fall for Beth. That's what like the movie is trying to they do. They don't do a good enough job of I agree. showing that. There's nothing between them. He's no. just kind of impressed when she saves his life. <laughs> Like, at one point, he's gonna get pushed by the yeah. bully guy. <laughs> what you gonna do, big man? And then he just mm. pushes him. And you're just like, this is not how bullying acts. I see bullying every mm -hmm. day. As this is all they teacher. do is, is, is just setting up a series of tropes. These are things we've seen before. And then they put it in a movie, and they, they basically just decide, so we don't have to do any of the legwork of actually developing the story or developing the characters. Mm -hmm. Just every single fucking thing is a trope, and you're just supposed to bring your emotions with you. Mm -hmm. And that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. I feel like writers they haven't been in a high school classroom <laughs> in the past five years. Like Things have changed right. a lot. But anyway... He's going to get pushed into her lap and she and he's going to be like, sorry. And she's going to say hi. Mm -hmm. And then he's just going to awkwardly get up no, and walk away. That's just because he's awkward and he doesn't I know understand. what to do with the girl that's flirting with him. But there's nothing to suggest that he's interested in her. No, I agree. It does a poor job, especially when they set up that he's very obviously interested in Sophie and... Like, just with the one shot, they're relying on the tropes to tell you that if all we're going to give you is cliche, then I have to rely on the cliches to interpret anything. And so now I'm relying on the cliche to know that Gary is into Sophie. And then you show me nothing about why he would be interested in Beth. And then by the end of the movie, because she saves his life once or twice, all of a sudden, they're a couple now. Like, mm -hmm. anyway... We've got a lady walking around wearing a red dress yep. who is... She's the shapeshifter, but... Again, just just the acting in this movie is no good. She's walking around she's sniffing across people. Across the board. Uh-huh. She is looking for a virgin that she can sacrifice to bring all of these monsters back to life. And if you're looking for more lore than that, you're not going to get it. Any attempt to, like, build a story here 
it like it starts to bubble and then it just yeah. like it's just a big mess. She basically sniffs out a virgin at this party, takes him upstairs, and she's gonna sacrifice him to summon the rest of her monsters. Cause she's like the leader of these five monsters. And while this is happening, downstairs the stripper has shown up and is dancing on the very uncomfortable Sophie. Mona comes by and turns the music off. So they're just talking downstairs. Sophie will get upset when she finds out that Aria hired the stripper and directs her anger at Jess, who they've been kind of flirting with each other. How could you do this? Why would you think she would be involved in this? More that you wouldn't stop it from happening. Still, anything to do with it. Like, it's, it's again, a cliche where it's like, well, they, there needs to be some sort of conflict and a misunderstanding. So here we go. But they're just talking. The music is explicitly turned off, the loud music. And interlaced with these shots in this scene is the shapeshifter killing the virgin upstairs. And he is screaming his head off. And nobody hears a fucking thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. We are downstairs while he is screaming upstairs and we don't hear anything. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Also, so I guess she's a shapeshifter, but I guess like the alien is her natural state. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. I think I think that's the deal. Sophie gets pissed off and punches Arya in the face, and it's one of the worst film punches I've ever seen. Chris hates. I would fake say punches. it is worse than the punch that Hermione gives in Prisoner of Azkaban, which <laughs> is absolutely horrid. Go back and watch it. <laughs> She makes contact supposedly at her most extended point when her punch is its absolute weakest. She's going to throw her back out punching like that, and she's not going to do any damage. It's terrible. and But it's like, oh, yeah, go, girl, slay, hit that boy or whatever. You know, like, we're just supposed to root for it because of that. But this is equally bad. It is so terrible, but we need conflict. Is it the bird guy at this point that first the comes slasher. out? Yeah, because we're going to get a whole lot of heads cut off, a whole lot of guts coming out. Yeah, he's just going to go around killing everyone that's outside. He explicitly never comes inside. And they couldn't even be bothered to make this look good. Yeah. There's parts, guys, where I'm like, that is red thread. Yeah. <laughs> I am looking at red thread right now. It's not good. Red yarn. You know what the best shot in the entire movie is? So the monster is really the first one that shows up for real, right? So this guy comes in. There's a pounding at the door and everyone's like, what is it? And we think it's going to be monsters. And it's just this drunk guy coming in like, I'm here to party. And then he gets ripped in half by the beast, right? And so the beast is trashing everything up and everyone's freaking out. And they call the cops. Gary does, I think, specifically. And... The cops show up and the slasher kills one of the cops. And then it gets blood all over the windshield. It couldn't be more obviously paint. Is that what you're going to say? Yes. (laughs) But we get this saturated red shot and it is the most creative, (laughs) albeit (laughs) like one of the most common things you can do with color in a shot in a horror movie. But that is the highest level of creativity you're going to get in shot composition in this movie. Because it just bleaches everything red. And in the car, and he's freaking out, and then it it comes down. He does the windshield wipers, I think. And then you get the killer there, and he's got this floppy leg. Which looks good, but moves like it has no bones in it. 
Yeah, at one point, I wrote down, I'm walking through a haunted maze. Uh Uh-huh. Like a homemade haunted maze, only it's not scary because I'm not in it. Yeah. The only reason that stuff works. You're absolutely right. These are all costumes that look like you're at a maze at a at a horror event. It could be at a, you know, at a cheaper one, or it could be at a somebody's like at a homemade one that they really uh-huh. care and they put a lot of oh, time yeah. and effort into it. You know, it could be one of those things. And you're thinking, well, then why does that scare you? Because in the moment you're there and it feels like it's actually happening and it's coming at you. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I not agree. when I'm staring at it on screen and it none of it looks real and if for some reason the slasher just like births out the critters the creeps like yeah, I, it, they like eat the gnomes and then turn and the, then gnomes they, then the gnomes evil and alive birth from them a la, yeah. a la alien but they're not the alien reference it's uh, it's a mess. Uh, it is a mess. It is a big, big mess. Meanwhile. Everything is bubbling under the surface, but when it gets there, it just... Yeah. It does not come spurting out. Jess and Mona make it upstairs, where they're trying to hide from the beast, and then they get into a big fight. This seductress shapeshifter lady kicks Beth in the back once, knocking her out, apparently, and then Mona gets into a fight with Mona, and then gets thrown out the window. And so now our Mona that we're going to have that's interacting with everyone is going to actually be the shapeshifter. couple of things. Uh-huh. Say. Yeah. You're wrong about the fact that it's Gary who calls the police. And I okay. want to point this out because it's one of the highlights. Is of it the Aria that calls the police? It's Aria yeah. that calls the police. Oh, right. And she lies. She She puts on this whole like she's crying and she's acting like she's being robbed. Yeah, Gary's in this scene. Yeah, and then she immediately changes. Yeah. And he's like, why did you say that? And she's like, what was I supposed to say? That giant fucking monsters killed half my classmates? I don't think they believe that. I don't believe that. And it's it's one of the highlights, because she uh explains what's happening. She's like, It's actually kind of clever. Yeah, okay, that's pretty clever. And it's great. And you're just like, more of that, please. Uh Yep. I'd also like to point out that to make a lot of their puppets feel real, there are so many cuts. Oh, yeah. There's so many cuts. And it's very obviously they're taking a non-articulated prop and just, like, holding it off screen and just sort of wiggling it. Exactly. That's what I was saying. uh And I think movies think that we don't get it. (laughs) Or it's charming. And this is not charming. There are movies where bad effects can be charming. Mm. This is not one of those. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. But yeah, okay, so what do they find out? that What do they... They don't call her a shapeshifter. They actually call her a djinn. No, the djinn is Samara. Oh, is, is the ring character? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh. Uh, okay. Life cycle are the worms, I think. Or maybe it just says life cycle on the page in the book. But it looks like it's a name. Like, it's up where the names are. And it's capital L, life cycle. Well, There's it's the shapeshifter that says no known weaknesses, right? Yes, Fight, yeah. Run. The beast, I think, is Grotta. That's the one that was mentioned in the very beginning with the mom. Or that could be the shapeshifter, but it's unimportant. I don't think the slasher ever gets a name. And the abomination never gets a name either. The abomination is nothing. It's just a bunch of flesh slapped on a wall in a bathroom and nothing practically at all happens. Oh, is that the guy that's like stuck? Yeah. And uh it couldn't be more obvious that it's just foam. Just one dude with a bunch of. Yeah. Uh huh. Exactly. That's another scene. Just like if I was walking through a maze, that would be effective because it would be a scary moment. 
that I'm running past because I'm already mm -hmm. afraid of other things. So I don't have time to stop and evaluate that is just a man standing behind a wall and everything that is around him. None of that is moving because, like I mm -hmm. said, it's just foam. Like, I don't have time to think about that. Right. If this is a, like, high school production or like a college student film or something like that, I think you can get away with these bad effects because there is something charming about that sort of low budgetness. But when you're making an actual film and you have no budget, then it is your job to get creative. Mm -hmm. And there is no creativity in this, none. They didn't think at all past the design of the monsters, how they would move, how they would look on camera, anything and they just were like well we're low budget so people are just gonna have to deal with it it's like well it's not good enough that's not, it's not good enough that's not how jim henson got famous right. guys right he made a lot of cool shit out of practically nothing mm -hmm. so yes mona comes down she has the book and sophie's like where'd you find this <laughs> <laughs> And they, they look through the book. We see all the monsters. We see that there are five of them. There's a symbol, which is too stylized. If you ask me, this book, which actually looks kind of impressive. It's this sort of like overstuffed, ancient-looking book with all these ink blots. The sketches, the concept art is fantastic. Love the concept art. That's obviously what it is. It's concept art for these designs. Mm -hmm. And they just put it in there as the actual book. Mm -hmm. Um but then there's this, like, symbol of this pentagram with a circle around it, and it's, like, overly stylized for what else is in the book. It's what she carves on the virgin's chest, you know, when she summons all of them. So, yes, she is the leader of all of them, and they all have weaknesses because her mom told her all monsters, no matter how scary, can be defeated. That was the moral of that short little story she told her at the beginning, right? You just have um, to find the weakness. And that's how they defeat the beast, is there's this little zit on his back that she stabs with a knife, which was sticking straight out of the birthday cake it's, because that's how people do things. It's so ridiculous. It's dumb. So they kill the beast that way. But the idea is they need to figure out what all of the weaknesses are. And apparently the critters, their weakness is microwaves because remember gremlins? Yeah, exactly. And it's a really bad effect. It's bad. Like, they animated some fire over the stupid puppet, and then they put this, like, visual filter over the top to look like the door of a microwave. But it's very obviously there's nothing in a real microwave. Yes. Um, like we said, there's that this, this whole, like, moment about this girl that looks like Samara from The <sighs> Ring. Like, she escapes from a, a painting... Picture. Just to be trapped back in the painting two moments later, and you're just like, I don't. She that comes was not out. Necessary. She possesses people. They add the the added little bit that she can possess anyone, but not the same person twice. I mean, it's the black stuff. It's straight out supernatural. Oh yeah. Uh huh. But my point is, why did it matter that she couldn't possess the same person twice? Because that was how you could trap her. No, they just held the picture up in front of her and she went into the picture. And then the girl, I think it's Jess, slams it over her knee. <laughs> and how did you know that wasn't just going to release her? That was my response. I was like, wait, didn't you just let her go? <laughs> yeah, no, but she lives in the picture. And if you destroy the picture, then she dies, I then guess. Then why didn't the person destroy the picture? Why did the person just put a chain around it with some paper? Well, that's the thing. It's, it looks like a cool design, but none of it makes sense. The shapeshifter is the one that brought that painting there. Yeah. And it was wrapped in paper, and, and then you take it. the paper and off. And Chris had a problem with that. 
I don't have a Why problem with that. Why couldn't she? Nothing's explained. Magic, I assume. Magic, it's, yes, it's just magic. It's, it's magic, magic, man. man. <laughs> There's this whole scene with this German girl, and you're just like, I don't know. She, like, she can understand English perfectly. Perfect. Perfectly. But doesn't know a single English word. I can understand Spanish, basically. And I know a whole lot of Spanish words I can say out loud. Uh-huh. Like, this girl understands exactly what everyone is saying, but cannot communicate back in any Whatsoever. way. Yeah. She's going to run into the real Mona, who's trying to get away from the slasher. Because that's and this girl funny. And this girl, Helga, is going to end up dying from it. And it turns out what Helga was trying to tell her the whole time is that, I have a car, let's get out of here. Isn't that ironic? Well, and nobody also- uses that car. Nobody uses that car. It's pointless that I it came know, up. I didn't know that she had a car. I think she was... She did. I thought she was telling him, she was like, I was doing just fine until you got here, and you're making all this noise. No, that's what she was spend. telling her. Yeah, but when they find her later, and oh. it turns out that Jess or somebody, can, or Beth, Beth can... Beth can, but she doesn't understand her the first time she speaks. Right. But apparently, yo, no, I was just trying to tell her that I had a car. I have the keys with me, and let's get out of here. She gets killed right after that. Yeah, and so she just dies. And they don't take her keys. It's never even an option that they can get to Helga's car. It's never even brought up again. But yeah, so the shapeshifter's been pretending to be Mona. They figure that out. They find in the book, I think, or somewhere, a map of the secret areas, the pipes that go to the different rooms. They're at a farmstead, and so there's there's a secret passageway to a room that Sophie has never seen before, and to the barn. And they find out where that passageway would be. They uncover it, and they're about to go in it. And that's when this fake Mona, the shapeshifter, is like, Ah, you just couldn't leave well enough alone. <laughs> you just couldn't wait, could you? Not quite midnight, but I'm sure we can stretch this out. There's plenty of your little friends to kill first. And then she turns into the shapeshifter, Venus flytrap lady, and then rips Arya in half. Down the middle, like vertically. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. So when they run into the real Mona, she's like, "How do I know if you're real?" And she's like, "Because you used to have a huge crush on Katy Perry." And she's, and she's like, like, "I still, still do." Still do. And then they all get together and they're badasses and they defeat the yeah. monsters. And who cares? A couple of things. <laughs> they're bad. It's bad. You built a secret underground vault. And your passageway from the vault to the barn is human-sized. Why would the passageway from the house to the vault be the size of a ventilation shaft in a movie? Why would that be the case? But it is because that's the trope, crawling through the ventilation shaft. There's no explanation as to why that would be the case. And on the other side of this underground vault, there's a normal human-sized passageway. So why would the person that built this design it this way? It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's just more and more tropes. When they get there, there's an exposition dump from an old tape deck. Like it's Evil Dead or something like that. Where it's the mom saying, My daughter, I got She used to be a monster hunter. Now she's pregnant. She's going to be there with her daughter every step of the way. She's going to be there when she's 18 because she knows that the monsters are going to come after when she turns 18. Because of her, like, bloodline? I I guess because it's her bloodline. But if all they needed was to get her over the age of 18, then where the fuck did the shapeshifter come from? And then why didn't she get what she wanted when she killed the mom? Because Why is Sophie the important one, but not her mom? 
Well, no, she wanted to take out the mom so the mom couldn't be there to help Sophie. The only reason Sophie's successful at the end is because she has her girlfriends with her. I understand. But my point is, if if she's looking to sacrifice... Yes, girl power. <laughs> if she's looking to sacrifice Sophie when she's over 18, the mom was over 18 and you killed her just fine. Why didn't she suffice as a sacrifice? They need her to be it has to be, to be on her 18th birthday. <laughs> Birthdays are important. There is a moment where, like, it's midnight. Why do demons care about time zones? We've had this conversation before. Uh, Jess is kept. She's pulled out of the ventilation shaft by the shapeshifter. And she's, like, wrapped up in a web cocoon. Why there's webs? There's, like, little bugs in the cocoon as well. Like, for no point. And the cocoon is just the shitty webbing that you get at a Halloween store. Like, it's really it's bad. It's just that stretched out stuff that you get. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, really bad. It is. Mm-hmm. There's a moment, nice try, you bitch, which is obviously supposed to be a reference to aliens. Nice try, bitch. Everyone has a weakness except for the shapeshifter. The shapeshifter doesn't have a weakness. So what are they going to do? Are they going to come up with something clever to defeat the shapeshifter, Kelsey? How do they defeat the shapeshifter? They're all just going to have a bunch of weapons and no, that's, they come after that's them the with the slasher. Weapons. That's the slasher. They all get to take a weapon to the slasher and kill him and save Gary because the lady's got to save the dude, right? That's Which is not- fine. They don't do that to the alien? No. The shapeshifter and Sophie go one-on-one. Do they? And how Sophie kills her is she just has a chainsaw, and she just takes a chainsaw to her, and that kills her. Oh, that's right. This great monster with no weaknesses. And she just stands there and lets it happen. Yes. just like... It's not clever. She didn't come She's up with a good way. fighting every back mo- in any way. They set it up by saying every monster has a weakness, but this one has no discernible weaknesses. Whatever shall we do? Just take a fucking chainsaw to her, I guess. <laughs> what? Then that means you could have taken any sharp weapon to her. Yeah, exactly. That's all sorts of weaknesses. And then this movie has its own song at the end with the credits. There is a terrible metal theme over the end credits. Like, not funny, just bad <laughs> just screaming book of monsters like it's the music is great but it's almost got this it sounds like almost like a, a mocking version of Ian Gillen from Deep Purple like his voice he sort of famously in the video game world at the time did the boss music for this RPG called Blue Dragon and it's just like really out there over the top sort of metal music and it's kind of funny and earnest this is not earnest it's not funny it's just bad even though the metal is actually kind of good (laughs) so that's really obnoxious I mean that's the end of the movie everyone dies except for our girl bosses Jess Mona Sophie and Beth and Gary so five people survive everyone else is just fodder I mean, it is kind of cool to see people getting ripped in half and stuff like that. They put some effort into that. I'll give them that. But mostly it's just an excuse to put monsters in front of people and kill them. And they put no effort into anything else. Even in the design of these monsters. It was bad. It's not fun to watch. It was not funny. It was not scary. It was not a good time. Yeah. So, Kelsey. What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? 20. 
Uh, well, there are only eight reviews. It has a 75, probably because there are only eight reviews. And some of these are like, it's a six out of 10, and that counts as positive. The audience score, though, there are many more audience reviews. The audience score is 42. There you go. No Metacritic, no cinema score. To give you an example of the type of reviews that got it a 42, this is a one-star user review. 75% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. How? <laughs> How? Seriously, the worst acted British movie I've ever seen, and not the least bit funny. This is not a matter of opinion. This movie sucks. <laughs> five-star user review. This is the type of review where somebody gave it five stars. Okay. What is there to say about this movie? These fine actors deserve an award, nay, a Nobel Peace Prize, for this mind-altering piece of world-class filmography. Okay, that's a troll. Exactly! Yeah, that sucks. If, if I had not have seen this very movie, I believe I will not have been the same open-minded individual I am before you. However, without this movie in question, I would not have these many restless nights tossing and turning in my bed with the very thought of these terrifying monsters that haunt my very being. You still gave it a five-star yeah, review. you're fucking it up. Like, I get that you're trolling, but you're fucking it up. Even with those people, it still has a 42. But it's Rotten Tomatoes scores 75, Kelsey. Is it overrated or underrated? It is overrated. All right. What would you give it? Look, I've seen the worst of the worst. I've seen abysmal films. This is sure. not abysmal. Yeah. I'll give it a 31. I don't know. Seems like they like horror movies. Right, but you're giving them credit for that. And that's kind of the whole point. That's all that they're writing on is, hey, we made a reference to a horror movie. And you like it, right? Right? I wouldn't go any higher than a 20 on this. I understand. I'm probably giving them way too much credit. 20 just seems low. I seems don't know cruel. why. Yeah. Well, the only reason I'm giving it 20 is because there is there are some things I liked. Hmm. You know, there are, like, the leg looked realistic, despite the fact that it wobbled around like it had no bones. The red shot in the police car I really liked. The paint. Yes. There was, there were, I feel like there were a couple of funny things where I was like, oh, oh, I actually laughed legitimately at that. And so for that, I will give it a 20. That is our birthday ritual week here on Pod Cemetery with... 1981's Allison's Birthday and 2018's Book of Monsters. Kelsey, what are we watching next week in week two of our birthday time of year? We're not done watching wacky birthday movies. Uh -huh. So For Kelsey's it's birthday. It's funny because for your birthday, we watched two teenage girls. Uh huh. For my birthday, we're going to watch some younger boys. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, well, phrasing. <laughs> So don't panic. I think it's about a 15-year-old boy is on his 15th birthday, uh -huh. I think. Okay. Don't panic from the 80s. Oh, the movie's called Don't Panic. Yeah, it's I called Don't were, Panic. I thought you were telling me not to panic. No, but and I'm pretty sure it's got, yeah, it's got a Ouija board. Okay. So another 80s movie about a uh -huh. birthday about a Ouija board, but this time it's a boy. And then, because I've wanted to see this for a long time. Uh-huh. We're going to watch the Banana Splits movie. Oh, we're finally going to watch the Banana Splits movie. Which is about a kid on his birthday, and his parents take him to see the show. 
Yeah, we he's watched like that. Nine. I think he's turned nine. We watched the Nick Cage one, which wasn't great. That was fine. It was just like it's what it was. Was just Nick Cage being a silent dude who just totally rocked ass, and all he wanted to do was just clean up this. It was funny in that way. It had character to it. I would say it was Five Nights at Freddy's the movie, right? And nobody was acknowledging that, right? The silent protagonist, just like in Five Nights at Freddy's, and yeah, except you actually get to in this movie destroy the monsters instead of just running away from them. But yeah, this is... What if the Chuck E. Cheese animatronics were monsters? Kind of like Five Nights at Freddy's. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is next week. Until then, you can find us at our website, podcemetery.com, on Twitter, at podcemetery, and on Patreon, over at patreon.com slash podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is just listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Let's kill some fucking monsters. Even though the important number, Myrna's number is 19. Well, right. But 19 o'clock is 7 mm. o'clock. The seventh hour, yeah. Or the, the 19th hour. That's a good point. Thank you for correcting me. An old woman wants a young woman's body. No, I, I want to be here. What is he talking about? I don't know. He's obsessed with me. Quick, throw the cross at them. Jolene, 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 Jolene. Isn't that kind of how, how we felt about Hatchet? Or no? May, I, I don't remember. Mm. To be honest, I just remember not liking Hatchet. <laughs> because they wouldn't believe me? I don't believe me! Yeah. Like- 1981's Book of Monsters and 28... 28- Sorry. You know, what if the Chuck E. Cheese monsters... <laughs> monsters? Monsters? <laughs>